Hey everybody, happy 4th of July weekend. 4th of July is right around the corner and maybe some of you are already celebrating. You might be watching uh, from one of the coasts or overseas. You might be my son who's in Germany on a mission trip watching Valley Church. Thanks for clicking in. Thanks for being here with us. We're so excited uh, to have a family who is all over the place and accessibility like this. So I love that you're worshiping with us. Have you ever been put in your place you know what I mean? Like, like somebody like just put you in your place and it was uncomfortable, it was unkind. Uh, it's the name of our message today, putting people in their place. I remember being put in my place, uh, probably a lot in my life, but one specific moment was when I was in sixth grade. Uh, I don't know what I was doing, but over the weekend, I took a bunch of books home. I had all of these books in my backpack and I was dropped off a little early on a Monday for school. And this backpack was driving me nuts. It was so heavy, it was hurting my back. I didn't wanna set the backpack down and I wanted to go play. I didn't wanna set it down because I didn't want somebody to take my books or my book bag or vandalize it, but I wanted to play. I could see all the kids hanging out and I couldn't play with this heavy backpack on. So I snuck in to the elementary school probably 10 minutes early. Didn't seem like a big deal to me, although I did know that nobody was supposed to go inside the school before the bell rang, but I had to keep my books safe and uh, I had to keep my body safe. It was so heavy. And I remember just uh, walking down the hallway, down the center of this long hallway. Uh, and I am about 66% of the way down the hallway, almost to my sixth grade classroom. And around the corner uh, comes our custodian. And this guy looks at me and he was immediately angry. He didn't want anybody in this building. And he pulled me aside, he said, you get over here. And I'm like, me? There was nobody else in the hallway, it was just me. Uh, and I came up to him and he goes, what are you doing in the building? You know you're not supposed to be in here until the bell rings. And I, I just said, backpack, that's all I could think of. Like, I was just like, I gotta get my backpack, I'm like backpack. He's like, I don't care about you. I was like, it's so heavy. I just wanted to drop it off and I'm leaving. He said, things get stolen all over the school all the time. Are you stealing stuff? Is that why you're in the building? Now I'm being accused, not just was I in the wrong place at the wrong time, but now I'm being accused of things and I'm just trembling. I'm this little sixth grader. Here's an adult, like, I mean, this guy was tall, but every adult is tall, but he was tall on top of tall, and I'm a sixth grader trembling, and he says this, and I quote, pardon my French, because it gets pretty uh, harsh. He looks at me, and he says, you sure as hell better get out of here, and my heart sunk, and I thought two things in that moment. Number one, I thought this guy must have gone to Sunday school a lot more than I thought because he was theologically spot on. Hell is a sure thing. And the second thing that I thought of was, I better sure as hell get out of here. So I ran down the hallway, I got out of here and uh, had my backpack and none of it, none of it really was resolved. It was just this heavy moment. And by the way, let me just say, uh, while this uh, phrase, as sure as hell, is theologically accurate, uh, I just wanna encourage you to not add it to your conversation because nobody really hears that unless you're in the pulpit talking about hell and thinks good things. You know, without a doubt, the custodian, he was putting me in my place. Uh, the way he said what he said and what he said was not kid-friendly, it wasn't kind, it was wildly unprofessional, and it was terrifying. I can, I can still picture every single moment and every single step now as an adult. 
But the interesting thing is, and it's something that I'm sure he didn't think about, and I'm absolutely sure he didn't care about this, is in the moment that he was putting me in my place, I was actually putting him in his place. You know, we have to put people in their place. We do. As followers of Jesus, we've got to put people in their place. But I'm not talking about belittling people. I'm not talking about shaming people. I'm not talking about stealing people's dignity. I'm talking about proximity. You know, who are the people you keep close to you? You get to control who's in your inner circle of friends. You know, who have you placed in, in that most important relational position? Who's closest to you? Who are the people who build you up and call you out when, when those things need to happen? Uh, who do you take advice from? Who do you confide in? Who are your closest influencers? I love this. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. He says, there are some circles. And right there at the very, very center, there belongs what I would say are the most important, most influential people. And it's a, it's a pretty small circle. And then you've got other layers of friends. And then you've got other layers of acquaintances. And some people, you want to put them in their place because some people need to be right here surrounding you and with you. And some people need to be put in a place like way out here. People who aren't great to associate with. That doesn't mean you're not kind. It doesn't mean you don't talk to them. It just means they're not in that inner circle. Those are people who aren't in that special innermost place. You know, relationships are so important. They're so absolutely important. Relationships are at the core of who we are as a church. Valley Church has four core values. We value a lot of things, but four are core. And if you don't know this, you might want to write this down. Valley Church core values, number one, uh, we major on the majors. What that means is we're not bickering about preferences. We're not going to get in arguments over things that don't matter eternally. Like we major on the majors. We, we have things that are central and specific and important. We're going to guard doctrine. We're going to guard families and marriage and kids. Uh, we're going to major on the major, but we're not going to bicker over preferences. Uh, one of our other um, core values is we love our community. Uh, we're just like coming out of Love You Des Moines days. Nine days, over 300 events, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers, and then multiply that with guests who've come to our campus. And it's not just nine days. Like we love our community so much. Community bridges are things we are building every single day. Uh, we want you to be involved. We want you to be connected to the community center and, and people in the community. Like that's a core value of who we are. Uh, a third one, and Pastor Quentin, he just nailed it last week. What a great message. If you missed it, you gotta go back and watch it. Like we pursue boundless generosity. He had a fantastic message on how to be very generous people. We care about so many areas of our life and some people are so guarded around generosity. And of course, that's about finances and resources, but it's also about our time. We wanna be generous people, who we are, with the gifts that we have, with the resources God has lent us. We've gotta be generous. Scripture talks about being generous all the time. And our fourth core value, we help relationships thrive. 
Like we help relationships thrive. It's at the core of who we are. We've got groups that, that uh, help strengthen marriage. We have families succeeding all over the place. We're, we're, we're like sold out to helping families win. We're, we're creating spaces for friendships to grow. When you have relationships that thrive, it, it brings a wave of encouragement and joy into your life and it, it supports and it impacts every single area of your life. Relationships are so incredibly important. You know, we wanna help everybody wisely choose friends because we know that the people that we spend the most time with shape the people that we are becoming. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. If you're not a note taker, you need to remember this. This is so good. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I don't know who said this. It's a, an anonymous quote I found on the internet. I looked for who said it because it's so good and it's so true. Show me the people in, in your innermost circle and I can tell you the direction that you're gonna go in the next five or 10 years. It's true. The people we hang out with are, are the, the, the person that we're going to become. You know, our friends have a significant impact on our lives. The, the people we surround ourselves with shapes uh, our attitudes and our beliefs and our behaviors. Our friends are gonna influence the direction that we take in life, which impacts our, our future outcomes. It just does. You know, the first thing we read in Proverbs chapter 24, look at what Solomon writes to his son. He says, don't envy the evil. I mean, don't envy evil is so obvious, but he actually puts a the there, which means he's tethering this to people. He's like, stay away from people uh, who are evil. And, and by the way, evil means people who have rejected God and, and wise and wisdom is a, a reflection of people who are walking with God. He says, don't envy the evil. Don't desire to be with them for their hearts plan violence, their words stir up trouble. People who are in your innermost circle should not be people who are prone to violence, who have dark hearts, who uh, can't control their tongue, that they're liars or gossipers, that they're stirring up trouble with their, their words. You know, we don't want to envy those people. But you know why Solomon is saying this to his son is because sometimes when you see people who are just wildly successful and yet they're not following biblical principles, they're, they're not following God, uh, but yet they're seemingly succeeding at so much, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty easy tendency to want to drift that way. I mean, like, why can't I experience that? What, what are they doing that I'm not? Maybe uh, sometimes you, you envy or you desire people who have a wildly successful business, or maybe their home or their car is amazing, or, or maybe it's just how much money they make. You know, Solomon, he goes on to say later in the chapter, verse 19, he says, don't be, don't be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. He repeats it. You know, Solomon's telling his son that it's a pretty common temptation for men and women, godly men and godly women to feel frustrated when they see people who are rejecting godly principles, yet they're prospering in life. And it's natural for us to, to gravitate to uh, some of the things that we want or maybe some of the things that are wants that we've elevated and convinced ourselves are needs. Like we just kind of uh, are, are drawn to those things. We, we gravitate that direction. However, when we see success in other people, we want to look for the root of Jesus. We want to look for how faithful they are at following God because if success isn't built around a relationship with Jesus, it's kind of like a, a house built on sand. Like the foundation is weak and it's destined to crumble. Don't be agitated by evildoers. But the focus here, it's not on prosperity. It's a warning to Solomon's son and it's a warning to us. 
the focus isn't on the prosperity, it's actually on the, the contrast of outcomes between the wicked and the wise. You know, look at Proverbs 24, verses 20 and 14. You know, for the evil, come on, we're talking about two different people, right? The wicked and the wise. He says, for, for the evil, they have no future. The wicked, they have no future. The lamp of the wicked, it's gonna be put out. And realize that wisdom is the same for you. If you find it, you're gonna have a future and your hope, it will never fade. There's these two ways, there's these two futures. There's a future for the wicked and a future for the wise, two different paths. Really, he's saying, show me your friends and I'm gonna show you your future. You know, those who, who wander through life without a relationship with Jesus, no matter how much worldly wealth or security that person gains, they, they're gonna find themselves navigating a path with no real hope at the end. Yet the wise, they, they have a different future. If you're following Jesus, like our path may not always be lined with worldly riches, but it's going to lead to a future filled with hope, uh, a hope that surpasses all understanding. Our direction is significantly influenced by the people we spend the most time with. It's, it's determined by the people and the relationships that we're cultivating. Who are you spending most of your time with? because there's two paths and you're gonna move in that direction. You know, look at Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous, they choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know, these people are being taken one way while the wise are being taken in a different direction. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, have you ever heard that, you know, pet owners start looking like their pets? Like you've heard that, right? Like that's a real thing that, that you kind of see culturally from time to time. Well, according to science, it's true, okay? Uh, let me read this. A, a, a psychologist at the University of California in San Diego asked a group of participants to match photos of dogs with the pet owners, all right? Uh, and, and in most cases, these pets were properly matched with their pet parents. Uh, they were matched, it was blowing my mind. And I'm gonna show you a few pictures. These pictures are not actual photos from this high level scientific research and study, but, but here's a few cases where this observation is more than true. Check this out, look at that hair. They both use the same conditioner, I think. Uh, they both might be using a special kind of curler, who knows? Uh, look at these, both bedhead. It's so good, they look so much alike. Uh, this is a very religious dog, I think, I don't know. Um, uh, hold on a second, look at this. Look at even the eyes. Like, I don't know if their eyes changed and started matching or if the guy, you know, he's like, that dog, that dog is like me. I need that dog. Let's keep going. Look at this. Look at that hair. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Uh, and, and again, the sheen, the shine, the luster. Um, a little bit of frizz, a little bit of crimping on both. It's, it's two very rugged, hardworking individuals, right? And uh, well, look at that. That guy's wearing a turtleneck. You gotta be proud. Uh, look, both, oh, that's amazing. I wish I had hair like that. Actually, I kind of don't. Um, you look at these dogs uh, and, and you realize they kind of look like their pets, like pet owners start looking like their pets. And in a similar way, people around you are gonna shape the way you look. You know, it's gonna shape our values and our choices and ultimately the path that you and I are walking on. 
You know, it's almost impossible to walk a right path if you're surrounded with the wrong people. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, Solomon taught this when he said this in Proverbs 13, 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, uh, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Like wisdom rubs off. And while you would think that foolishness rubs off, what the passage actually says is you are going to be in danger if your best friends are fools. Because a fool doesn't really care about anything except what they want. You know, a fool will chase whatever they want at the expense of everyone and anyone around them. And just a quick side note, I just got to say this. Uh, you know, before we move on and deeper into the message, I got to tell you, even though we need to put people in their place, meaning some closer to us and some further away from us, what's wildly true is that as followers of Jesus, we love everybody. It is so important for you to love strong, that you would love well, that you would be kind and compassionate and empathetic. You know, look at what, uh, what Mark 12, 30 and 31 say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment, God first. And Jesus goes on to say the second greatest commandment is just like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Our job is to love God with everything we have and then to pour that love also on everybody around us. Here's why I'm telling you this. We're not gonna agree with everybody every time. And, and just because we disagree, it doesn't make you my enemy. You need to remember that. Uh, loving everyone, uh, it, it doesn't mean tolerating everything. It just means loving everyone. We love everyone, but we don't let everyone influence us. We put people in their place. Some people belong in that inner circle and some need to be kept at an arm's distance, but you still, you still love them. Back to the beginning of Proverbs 24, don't envy the evil or desire to be with them. And then in verse 19, don't be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy the wicked. Don't envy or become agitated when it seems like others have everything going their way, when life for you is hard, when life is difficult, when life is challenging. You know, when, when envy and comparison are getting to you, you gotta get to God. Envy and comparison, it's not the answer when you feel other people uh, outpacing you. But also doing nothing in times that are tough or when, when others seem to have things going their way, that's not the answer either. You know, we faithfully endure through life's challenges. Um, if you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down because, because there are going to be difficult times in life. And what you and I need, we need support. Uh, when you and I, when we're overwhelmed, supportive friends are gonna help us overcome. You know, um, we have challenges, and within those challenges, we need support through those challenges. Uh, difficult times, they're not always bad. But I promise you this, going through difficult times without friends is absolutely unbearable. And some of you, you have great friends, but maybe you need more. Or maybe you need a different kind of friend. Maybe you need a friend uh, who you know, might 
help you with some Bible study, some prayer and some encouragement. I'm telling you, if you need some good friends, if you need a different type of friend that walks with the wise, I wanna invite you to try a life group. You know, life group signups are coming real soon. And you know, you today can go to valley.church. There is a giant banner there inviting you to give uh, your, your information, your email, your name. Because what we wanna do, if you click that link, if you sign up online uh, right now, you're gonna be among the first people who get an advanced look at the new life groups that are breaking when, when fall comes. So please head out to valley.church, click that life group button. And this isn't a lifetime commitment. Uh, this is an opportunity to try breaking into some new friendships. We wanna see you healthy and strong. We wanna see your relationships thrive. And this is one of the ways that we are uh, building into, pouring into, that is the DNA of Valley Church. Jump into a life group, just try it for a season. Uh, you're gonna find a, a new depth of relationship in a life group, I, I promise you. So please, please check that out. We all have challenges and uh, we all need more support. And I guarantee you're gonna find some support in life groups. Um, look at verse 2410. Uh, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Like we, we're gonna be faced with challenges, but we gotta press through. You know, life's always gonna be tough. There, hard things are always gonna be thrown our way. Life is filled with struggles and difficult times. And, and some of us, we're just maybe avoiding responsibility. You know, responsibilities are hard. We've got to grow up and grow into them. You know, difficult times are, are actually a growth opportunity. I don't know if you've thought about that. Like the times that I have grown the most in my life is, is under trial, under, under difficult circumstances, under challenges. Challenges are not the problem. They're an opportunity. And I got to tell you, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he says uh, trials and troubles are actually necessary in our lives. Can you believe that? I gotta show you this verse. This might be earth shattering for some of us, but look at what James, the brother of Jesus says. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. He's talking to uh, people who are following Jesus. If you're following Jesus, like this is a spiritual truth for you. He says, whenever, whenever, that means every time, whenever you experience various trials, you gotta consider them pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So testing produces endurance, and then you've gotta let that endurance have its full effect so that you may be what? Look at this, so that you may be mature, so that you may be complete, so that you may lack nothing. This is the eye-opener, this is the aha. All of these challenges in our life, and obviously we don't wanna go through challenges alone, but challenges are so necessary because without challenges, look at, what, look at what James says. When we avoid trials, when we avoid troubles, when we avoid the testing of our faith, there's gonna be no endurance and you will be incomplete. I don't wanna be incomplete. I don't love troubles, I don't love trials, but I don't wanna be incomplete. But he says, this is what you need to consider pure joy. What do you consider pure joy? Consider it a great joy. You know what I consider a great joy? Uh, the birth of my children. I just thought that was the best. Like I loved it. 
Some of you aren't there, but maybe you received a new job at some point in your life. You're like, uh, maybe it's hard now, but when you got that job, you knew that paycheck was coming. That was like absolutely awesome. You know, maybe you find pure joy in uh, vacationing. Like who doesn't want to take a break? We just want to rest. It's pure joy. For me, I love finding a $20 bill in a jacket pocket, right? That's pure joy. Uh, uh, pure joy is realizing that it was somebody else's jacket. And I just keep that $20. I just put it in my wallet, right? You know, look at what uh, Proverbs 24, 16 says. I love this. Though a righteous person falls seven times, he's going to get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Those troubles are going to spin out people who aren't following God, but those troubles build you and I up as we're following Jesus. A righteous person is equipped to get up and will not settle. We will not give up when we fall down. Solomon, he writes uh, again in Ecclesiastes chapter four, look at this. Two are better than one because they have a good return. They have a good reward for their efforts. Uh, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Troubles are to be expected. We're all gonna go through difficult times, but we need the support. We need people with us. We, we're gonna try to get up, but when we are running with somebody who's sold out to Jesus and they're with us, they're gonna help pick us up. I just kind of wonder, who, who gets you through what you're going through? Who are those names? Who are those people? Who is that person? You know, problems are gonna feel amplified or, or they're gonna feel multiplied if we're walking through life alone or if we're walking through life with the wrong people. Troubles just multiply. They don't, they don't sharpen us. They just weigh us down. You know, we need good friends around us. When we're overwhelmed, supportive friends help us overcome. You know, I, as a pastor, I do uh, hospital visits from time to time, and we've got a great hospital visiting team here, so uh, I don't do it as much as I did at a previous church. Uh, and as I would walk up and down the hallways of those hospitals, visiting people from our church, visiting students I know, visiting mom and dads who had to pop in for an emergency surgery and to just pray with them, it was, it was great for the moment to be in their inner circle. But I gotta be honest with you, people without a church family, people without a, a life group, people without good, godly friends, I just don't know how they do it. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how I could spend days, weeks, months in the hospital without a church family, without people who are sold out to Jesus to, to come and encourage me and to be with me. Supportive friends are there through the good and through the bad. Look at this, Romans uh, 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Come on, like through the good and through the bad. When was the last time you just celebrated somebody and rejoiced with somebody just because they were there, just because they were having a good day? That's what we do. You know, how about, how about when it's not their birthday? How about when it's not an anniversary? You're just celebrating and rejoicing people. And, and when it is time to weep, you know, every one of life's challenges is easier to navigate with good friends. And when it's time to weep, we need people around us. I want to celebrate with people, but my highs are a lot easier to navigate when people aren't celebrating me than my lows are when I need people to encourage me and pick me up. You know, weeping with people, it's, it's not one of my strengths. It's not. Um, you know, when, when somebody around me starts crying, my response is usually 
Where's Pastor Linton? I need that guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding, probably. Uh, this week, I had the privilege to sit with somebody from Valley Church who was just, they just needed somebody to talk to. We had a, a great conversation, and near the end of the conversation, this person just started weeping. And I got to tell you, it really was a joy to be there. I wasn't joyfully watching this person weep. It was a joy to get to be present with somebody who needed somebody to weep with. It was a, it was a joy to sit there and be present, to offer support, but not a fix. You know, I offered encouragement, but I didn't try to tell this person what their next steps should be. I just got to weep with them. What a, what a joy and a relief to be able to be that for somebody else. We're better together. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Every day, we need to be bigger and better at encouraging and celebrating through the, the good times and the bad times. Look, what we do as followers of Jesus, we always are thinking about ways to build up others. We are always ready to rejoice and to spur on others, to encourage and to weep. We get to do that as followers of Jesus. You know, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9.9, he says, enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, the hot sun, and all of your fleeting days, for that is your portion in life and your struggle under the sun. I love this verse. I love it because there's just enough grit mixed with a little bit of cynicism. It's like he's saying, you know what? Some of you are gonna have dumb lives. Your lives are gonna be awkward and weird and hard. And they're certainly gonna be short and they're certainly gonna be difficult. And I just want you to enjoy what you can when you can. I love it, right? And who do you get to celebrate with? Who, who does Solomon tell us to enjoy? In the context, he says, enjoy life with your wife. For me, my wife's my best friend. You know, Solomon is saying, enjoy life with your best friend. Have people so close to enjoy life. God has given us so much to enjoy. We want to take advantage of enjoying the things that he created and meant for us to enjoy. You know, proximity matters. We want to put people in their place. And, and when we put the right people in the right place, life is just better. How about this? Here's three, three things for you today. Three ways to put people in their place. All right, number one, uh, we've got to develop godly friendships. We have to seek uh, godly friendships and others. We need to cultivate, we need to go after, run after, pursue good godly relationships. One of the ways that you're going to do that is by going to valley.church. Click that life group button, learn more about life groups and just give us your name and your email. Uh, giving us your name and your email today gets you on a list that gets you an advanced look at all of the groups. We wanna do that for you. We wanna make sure that you are having relationships that thrive, but you gotta get up. You gotta click that button. You've gotta go after it. You know, we're here to help, but we've gotta uh, be developing godly friendships. But it's not just that we're pursuing people in our lives. Number two is that we've gotta be a godly friend to other people. 
We've got to be for others what we want others to be for us. And not everybody is going to want you in their inner circle. Not everybody is going to want you in their small core group. I mean, you know, Jesus, I don't know if you thought about this, but there were thousands that followed him. There were 500 uh, like people uh, of the church that he appeared to, Christians that he appeared to. Uh, there was also like this group of 70 or 72 that were called disciples and he would send them out and they'd come back and they'd debrief. So he spent time with them, but he really spent time with 12. Do you see how this is getting smaller? And these 12 were his closest friends. The 12 were, were people he spent day and night with. And then, then it was boiled down to even three that he was closest with. And then throughout the book of John, John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. There was a, an inner circle, a tight wound inner circle. You know, people, people need you in their life. And while you're not gonna be at the center of everybody's friendship circle, at least pop in. Try to pop into people's lives and encourage them and rejoice with them and weep with them if they need to. If you're having a difficult time finding friends, you gotta join a life group. Just try it out. Check out what life groups are at valley.church and consider trying one. At least give us your, your information so we can follow up with you uh, when fall life groups, uh, when they launch and land. This is where friendships are made. And number three, Jesus wants to be your friend. Like, like he's earned this nickname. I'll tell it about it in a moment. Uh, he's pursuing you. I'm gonna show you that in a moment. But Solomon tells his son this. Look, look at what he says in Proverbs chapter 24. Uh, he says, my son, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord as well as the king. These are the two most authoritative people in their lives. The king had incredible power, but the Lord has so much more power. He says, fear the Lord. Don't associate with rebels. Fear the Lord is an invitation to relationship with God. God invites us into relationship by saying, fear me. And fear doesn't mean to be terrified of God. It means to have a holy reverence and respect and relationship with God our Father, and don't associate with the rebels. In other words, don't align yourself with those who are not aligned with God. You still love them. You might have conversations with them, but they're not in your inner circle. If they're not following Jesus, you don't wanna put them in that tight-knit group. He goes on to say, you know what their problem is? Is destruction's gonna be their problem, and it's gonna come on suddenly, these rebels. For them, uh, who knows? what distress these two can bring. It's powerful, it's sudden, it's mighty, and you don't wanna be associated with those who are rebellious and have no future. Don't align with those people. You know, we read this earlier, it appears a couple times, but just so clear in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm gonna tell you what that means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. True wisdom it begins with a deep reverence for the Lord, yet there are those who reject wisdom and reject discipline. Wisdom and understanding, what it really is, and what he's saying there is uh, this wisdom and understanding reveals our need for a Savior, but not just any Savior, the Savior. And Jesus happens to be the Savior who wants to be our friend. Look at, look at what we read in Luke chapter seven. I love this. He earns this nickname. Like Jesus is spending so much time with people who need to be lifted up and encouraged and who need salvation. 
he earns this nickname, a friend of tax collectors. Jesus, he earns this nickname, a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I'm telling you, that is such good news for you and I. We need him in our lives. We need his friendship. We need his salvation. Uh, We are only secure through the person of Jesus. But it's not just that he's our friend. He calls us. Look at him. He says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. We get to find our rest and our security in him. He wants a relationship with us. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is not forced. Salvation through Jesus Christ is offered. It is a free gift. Here's how important friendship is to Jesus. You know, when Jesus was preparing for his ministry, when he was choosing his friends, he made the biggest deal out of this. Jesus went away to pray. Jesus went away to pray all night before deciding who to surround himself with. Look in Luke chapter six. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and he spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he surrounded himself with the disciples. And then he chose 12 of them. There were many, but he chose 12 of them. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and even Judas Iscariot. Now, wait a minute, Brandon. I thought you said our inner circle, our tight-knit group needs to be people who love Jesus. Wasn't, Wasn't Judas a traitor? Absolutely. Jesus knew that. That was a part of the plan the whole time. But notice that his inner circle was filled with people who were sold out to him and his ministry and his spiritual success, and he was to them. Judas was close, but he wasn't part of the inner three. He wasn't the one, but Jesus still loved him. Jesus made it clear that he wanted to be friends with all of those men. Look look at what he says about friendship in John chapter 15. He says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is telling them, I'm gonna lay my life down for you. And you are not a project, you are my people. We're friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That feels a little harsh, doesn't it? Do what I say and I'll be your friend. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying we show our love for him by living within the guardrails of scripture. You know, scripture isn't here to restrict our lives. It's here to help us live the best lives. And he said, as I've laid it out, keep my commands. That's how you're gonna show me that you're my friend. He says, I don't don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you my friends. Like we're friends. We're friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. Friendship with Jesus isn't just about what we get from him. It's also about how we respond to him. You know, Jesus, he, he makes it clear that obeying his commands is an essential part of friendship with him. And it's not about legalism. It's not about earning his love. Uh, it's about responding to his love with faithful obedience. And, and if you're not a friend of Jesus, I want you to know that you could do that right now. And the, the first step of faithful obedience is to admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, believe in the resurrection and commit your life to him right now. And when you do that, if you do that, that is the first step to a lifelong friendship with the Savior. I love you guys. I'm so glad that you were here today. Um, I'm so glad that uh, you now have some tools in your belt to develop great friendships and to be a great friend. And uh, now go out there and and use it, all right? Uh, Let's pray. God, thanks so much. Thanks for your word, your encouragement. Thanks for friends in our life. But most of all, God, thanks for sending Jesus 
to be our friend, to love us so much that he laid his life down for us. That's the greatest, that's the greatest display of friendship the world has ever seen. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.